welcome family. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I really am excited. We are getting into Romans today. And we are starting a study through Romans that we are really not sure how long this is going to take. We have it guesstimated for about nine months. Uh, but who knows how many love the book of Romans? How many love the book of Romans? Yes, it is. Uh, my my bo- study Bible literally calls it majestic. It uses that word. Uh, it is this majestic writing from the Apostle Paul. Um, but I want to prepare our hearts in kind of a unique way this morning as we get into the Word of God because I think, uh, admittedly, and maybe I'm talking to myself or, or us as a whole, I can be so guilty of getting into the Word of God uh, not out of excitement or expectancy, but out of liturgy, meaning I'm just doing it because I know I'm supposed to. I know that it says good things. I know that God wrote it. I know that it's, I can check it off my list if I say I read it, and yet... I want to encourage you, friends, that if we read the Word of God and it doesn't lead us to worship, we're reading the Word of God wrong. And I wanted to do that for us this morning. I want the Word of God to lead us to worship um, because theology, hear me out, theology without doxology is religion. If you study God but it doesn't lead you to worship God, you're religious. But if you study God in a way that it brings you to your knees in worship of him, you found him. Because that's where he is. So I'm going to show a clip here in a second. Don't play it just yet. I don't have my clicker, by the way, Heather. So what we talked about, totally off the rails. It's all on you, girl. Um, But let me give you a little background quickly for this clip. Um, How many of you have heard of Passion Conference? Passion Conference is the largest, I believe, the largest young adult Christian gathering on the planet. Um, and every year we're blessed to coordinate and bring down a big group of young adults. This year we went with just about 50 young adults, took a bus down to Atlanta, got hotels, the whole shebang. It's a three-day conference. Uh, You see some of the most prolific Christian speakers, the most uh, well-known, talented Christian bands, all this stuff, and yet what I want to show you uh, is a moment from Passion Conference that wasn't really good drummers, it wasn't great singers, it wasn't powerful speakers. Um, It was the Holy Spirit interceding in a room of 60,000 young people. I just want you to watch this clip. Did anybody get chills watching that? Yeah, you can clap for that. I'm going to tell you, 
I was in the room for that. I was blessed to be a part of 60,000 people singing Agnes Day a cappella that was not in the plans. And I want to encourage you, that was about a minute and a half clip. That went on for almost seven full minutes, completely a cappella. Band on their knees, mics on the floor. Why? You didn't need to say anything. You didn't need the preacher. You didn't need the talented worship leader. Why? You had the king of kings in the room. And I want to encourage you, that's what this book can lead you to. This book is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, doing what? Piercing joint and marrow. So for me, when we dive into this, this is not just some big book that's awful to read and I have to check it off my list. No, it can introduce me to the king of kings who changes everything. So that's what I want for us this morning. And I want to encourage you that that's not just available in Atlanta, Georgia, in a stadium. That's available in your bedroom, you and you. The question is, do we step into it? And we need to be celebrating, I think, friends and family, and recognizing and realizing that God, while he is moving so uh, mightily and amazingly up on this hill, up on this rock that he has given us, but he's moving everywhere else, too. He's moving everywhere else, too. And it's incredible to see. So I'm excited this morning, hopefully you can tell that, because we're launching this book of Romans. But for me, while, while Romans is so full of instruction and doctrine and theology and sin and justification and all of these things, and so many of us probably know a lot about this book, I want to challenge us. Will we know less and feel more during this study? Maybe some of us need to get rid of what we think we know to accept what he wants us to have. So let's get into it. Really quick, before we dive into context of Romans and where we're at, I'm, friends, I'm worried and excited. I might preach for two hours, so for real, cancel some plans if you got them. But uh, how many of you were here for uh, Brother Mark's message last week? Brother Mark's message, he brought a word encouraging us uh, uh, of our lens, right? And how we view things and how we see things. And I think it's as relevant today as it was last week because the lens to which we view the book of Romans will change how we read it, right? I say this all the time, context changes content. If we understand why and who and where and, and what it was written about, we'll read it differently, but I loved his visual. I loved his visual. Uh, he, he encouraged us uh, to, to look through the new lens and what's it mean to have him and what's the value of it. And friends, I haven't put these on and I don't know how long. I don't know how long. But I'm going to give it a try, okay? I'm going to give it a try. Because it's all about the lens that you see through, guys. And these are America flag lenses, so I don't know what that tells you. I just found them in my office five seconds ago, and I can't see anything. So I'm not going to be like Mark and wear these the whole time, okay? But he killed it and gave this amazing visual and idea as we head into the new year, and that's what we're doing this morning. So, uh, Grace family, I hope you're ready to delve into this book, but the subtitle that we've given it is this, Unashamed of the Gospel. Can someone say that after me? Unashamed. That is going to be primarily what we focus on this morning, and I really do believe and hope that this word is going to uh, kind of give a new meaning for you this morning. And our prayer, uh, even as we prayed before this service, uh, as you go out from this place, is that there may be, I'm going to prepare your hearts, there may be someone in the room that walked in just leveled and burdened by shame, and I want you to walk out unashamed. I think that's what the Holy Spirit wants for you this morning, so... I want to read one passage, friends, because God is so amazing. We're going to pray, and we are going to dive into this. But we'll be in Romans 1, 
Romans 1, verses 1 through 17, if you have your Bibles. Uh, If you don't, I would encourage you to open it up for yourself on your phone. But before we get to that, if you would, flip or type in Romans 16. Romans 16. It's the last chapter, or last uh, section, in fact, the last paragraph, really, of the letter to the Romans from Paul. It'll be up on the screens, but I'm going to read it to you and just check this out. Verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish. Come on, y'all. Come on, y'all. I literally was like, all right, God, what do you want for us in Romans? What would you have uh, us go into? What, you know, and I'm like reading the whole thing. And I'm like, hey, man, let me go to the end because like, it, so often uh, r- the writers in the Bible, they bookend things, right? They start with these powerful, uh, like, hey, go get it, right? And they end with these benedictions that are powerful. And, and it says this. It just got dark. It's harder for me to read now. <laughs> Luckily, I took my glasses off. Thank you. <laughs> Was that like a sign to not read this or something? No, I'm just kidding. Verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden from long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles, a.k.a. many, 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 if not all of us, might come to the obedience that comes from faith. To the only wise God be the glory forever, through Jesus Christ, amen. Friends, I believe that that word is in there for a reason. I believe God gave us that word as a vision for a reason, and I believe that as we study through this, chapter 1 through 16, he wants to establish something new in you and establish something new in me. So let's talk to him and pray. Oh, Father, we love you. Because you are worthy of our affection. Our affection and our devotion are poured out on your feet. Father, this morning as we get into your word, we ask simply that you would just remove any scales that we would need removed to understand it. Because the Bible is clear to us that the truth is foolishness to those who are perishing. And Father, we don't want to be in that camp. So would you please reveal to us fresh. Would your word speak to us? Would it pierce joint and marrow this morning? Would your word stand any of mine or our words fall. We love you. We give this morning to you. In Jesus' name. And all God's people saying, Amen. Come on now. Amen. Come on now. Amen. You're not singing. You, I'm pointing at you. Uh-huh. She embarrassed. I told you. I will point you out every week. Y'all better learn. Heaven's going to sound like that. Just probably a little bit better and more on tune. But that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> So Romans, Romans, I hope you guys are just like salivating a little bit. You got your Bibles in your hands. I encourage you going forward in this study, bring your physical Bibles. Like I encourage you to do that. Uh, And if you don't have one, talk to us. We will give you one. We would love to give you a Bible. Uh, But like I mentioned, we titled the series Unashamed of the Gospel based out of Romans Romans 1, verse 16. Romans 1, verse 16. But let's get a little background, a little context. I'll try to fly through this so we can get to some of the meat. But I do believe it's important to know, again, why things are written. Because I think so often uh, we read things, we take it at maybe face value, or we take what other people have taught us about it. I had a really inter- interesting conversation with a young lady who I'm doing premarital counseling with her and her fiancé. Um, and she grew up a pastor's kid. And she's like 20, and she's talking to me about how she's like deconstructing so much of her beliefs because she realized she just believed what she'd been told for 20 years. 
not what the Bible actually says. So I think it's so important for us, no matter our age or where we're at in this faith walk, to be taking uh, just into account who and why and where and when and all of this stuff because it matters. So Paul wrote the letter to the church in Rome around 57 A.D. Uh, as after death. So Jesus had done his thing at this point. Paul had never visited the thriving church in Rome. That's really interesting and that's important. So just keep that in mind. Paul had not visited the Roman church yet. <clears throat> so in many ways, this makes this unique. This letter is unique. Let me give you some reasons why. He had visited the church in Corinth multiple times, thus the letter of Corinthians. He had planted many of the churches in the region of Galatia, therefore the letter to the Galatians. He had planted the church in Ephesus, therefore Ephesians. He had planted the church in Philippi, therefore Philippians. He evangelized Colossae, therefore the book to the Colossians. And yet, uh, and so many others as well, we see here, though, that this may be the only letter in the Bible he wrote where he hadn't been to the church yet. He actually hadn't visited these people yet. And that actually may, may, you take this as you will, this is Phil's kind of breaking down of this. This may explain the depth of Romans specifically. Notice Romans, of all the letters, is much longer and much more thorough. One of those reasons could be because he hadn't met them yet. He had to go through the whole gospel. He had to really lay out what this was about because he hadn't had the chance to talk to them in person yet. So Paul begins with this formal introduction, and it's more formal than any of his other letters, and he goes right into so many doctrinal beliefs like sin, the fall of man, God's judgment, sanctification, salvation, uh, Jews and Gentiles, Greeks, non-Greeks, being living sacrifices for Christ, and so on and so forth. I think one more important piece of information in regards to Paul's relationship with this church in Rome is that we momentarily see here when we get into it, it says that he longed... To be with them. He uses the word long. Like There's affection that comes with that. To see them and to encourage them. But what's important to know is that that longing would eventually lead to his death. If you don't know, he was martyred in Rome about ten years after he wrote this letter. So Paul's passion in this book, maybe specifically, was so deep that he was willing to go die for it. I think that matters. So I think we should let this sink in as we begin to soak up what God would teach us through these writings. So let's get into them. Uh, if you're one of my note, where are my note takers at? Come on, where are my people that you just scribble the whole thing? I'm like you. I'm like you. I don't even, I, in school, I never took notes. It took Jesus to make me want to take notes. All of the primary points are going to be in verses 14 and 17. So if you're waiting for like the highlight, big points, you're going to have to wait a little bit. So I'd encourage you to keep up because we're going to exegete through some of these verses to make sure that we're covering it all. We'll make some pit stops on the way. So it's going to be up on the screens for you, but let's read verses 1 through 17. There's a background slide, Heather. You can click that first. So verses 1 through 17, I'll read it to you, and again, it'll be up on the screens. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and, through, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. Notice, again, if you were to read Ephesians, Galatians, Colossians, he, he doesn't go this deep as to who Jesus is because he had already been able to talk to them in person about this. This is interesting. Uh, verse 5, through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to obedience that comes from faith in or faith for his name's sake. And you are also among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. 
Verse 7, to all in Rome who are loved by God. Look how he identifies them. To all in Rome who are loved by God. Do you talk to people like that? And called to be his holy people. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's just take a second. Let's do our first little pit stop here. And let's pay attention to the detail and extent of Paul's introduction here. The first thing. I think, again, that we can notice is Paul was obviously not personally familiar with this church. He does a very formal introduction, which, again, would kind of imply to us that they haven't had this personal interaction. And he goes right into why he's writing the letter, the gospel of Jesus. And I think it makes sense, right? If he had never met them, imagine if someone writes you a letter that's real, real deep and this long, and it shows up at your door, and you've never met this man before, (laughs) First of all, you're going to think it's junk mail. You're probably going to rip it up, and you made a huge mistake right off the rip. You know what I mean? But you would read it and be like, why is this guy writing to me? I've never met you. So I think Paul goes right into why. He's like, hey, here's who I am, and here's why I'm writing this to you, and it really matters. Like, it really, really matters. So he goes into it, and uh, again, like, I just, I say this a lot too, but the Bible has such similar writing styles. Like, we see it throughout, and it's crazy because it's written by however many authors, and yet the writing styles are so similar from page one all the way to page, like, 2,000 or however many pages your Bible has. Uh, kind of almost as if one person wrote the whole thing, God. But Paul, right off the bat, in similar Bible fashion, gives us the why and the what. The gospel of Jesus is the why. Here's why I'm writing to you, Rome. Here's why it matters, the gospel of Jesus. And then the grace and apostleship given to us and to others to know him is the what. So here's the why. Jesus is amazing. I mean, it's the truth. You need to understand these things. You need to lean into these things. And the what is that because of that, he has given you grace and apostleship. Apostleship could be defined probably a lot of ways. But really, I'm just going to sum it up this way. The ability to go and tell other people about it to plant churches, to make waves, to make a difference. And that's the what. That's what we have to then go and do. And he starts with this. And I love that the model was set for us by those who came before us. So Paul did this. We see Paul do this over and over and over again. He's not asking us to do something he didn't do. Neither is Peter, neither is John, James, or any of them. But again, notice Paul had never been to the church. So there's another thing we should notice here. Even though he had never been to the church, what did he have for them clearly? Love, affection. Like he's writing to them in just such affectionate way as if he says, uh, we'll get to it shortly, he longs to be with them and he thinks about them regularly. He had care for them. Can I ask us a question? I love to take the Bible, make it real, at least attempt to make it real to us and applicable to us. How often do you think about other church expressions? How often do you have affection and love and care for the persecuted church across the world? How often do you think about the European church, which is just under attack because of their beliefs over there? How often do you think of Freedom Community Church and the local Baptist church and the local Catholic church and whatever? How often do we have affection for churches that aren't our own? Can, can I just say really guilty of not doing that? Really guilty of not often, like being so focused on what God's doing here, which is a beautiful thing. And yet Paul, who was, gosh, so busy, so involved, had planted so many churches, had this deep affection for a church he had never even stepped foot in. Do we have that same affection for our brothers and sisters in Christ? Do we have that same affection for even churches maybe we don't agree with? Ooh. 
I wonder if we can look at Paul's heart this morning and actually adapt that heart to be thinking and praying for churches outside of our own walls and our own personal church family. And we will see here shortly how Paul prays for them, even though he doesn't know them. So you might be asking, well, well, how? How can I do that? Look at verse 7. Paul acknowledges them as this. Those in Rome loved by God. You want to know the first way to love other church expressions, love other people, love people you don't agree with, love difficult people? Identify them as loved by God. It becomes so much easier to love difficult people when my first identification of them is not difficult or annoying. (laughs) Some of you almost threw some elbows just now. You were like, love by God's like seventh on your list. But if I look at you and I say, even if I haven't met you, even if I don't agree with you, even if you, we differ in some beliefs, God loves you, what do I do? Treat you differently. I treat you differently. So Paul did that. I think the second thing uh, that, that is a why, like how we can go and do this, it's understanding what Paul understood. He understood we are all the church. He understood that so deeply. He was like, man, I've planted this church and this church and this church, and I've written to Corinthians, and I've had to call them out on their specific issues. And I've written to Galatia and had to call them out on their specific issues. I've written to these people and and encouraged them on how they're doing great. And we're all different, but we're all the church. And when he understood that, he treated them accordingly. I can be so guilty of being critical of other church expressions because I, I don't know if I agree with their theology or I don't think they're doing it the right way or I've heard how they treat people or this, that, and the other. And I'm telling you, if that's forefront of my mind, I will always be what? Judgmental. If forefront of my mind is that they're loved by God and we are all the church amidst our differences, I treat them way different. Paul did that. Paul did that. So it's just an opening encouragement and challenge. How do we view others? How do we view other church expressions? Do we love for them? Do we care for them? Do we encourage them? Do we support them? How about this? Do we pray for them? Do we pray for them? I'm going to do that this morning. Uh, we, we're a church of action, if you didn't know that. <laughs> we probably go too much, actually. Um, but we're going to do that this morning, just right now. Just right now. We're going to pray for other church expressions in our area. And we're going to believe that even as they gather this morning, they will be blessed by the prayers of their brothers and sisters. Amen? So let's pray right now, if you would. Pray in your own heart, in your own space, but I'll pray as well. Oh, Father, I thank you for Grace Fellowship Church that we are a small C church in the big C church. And Father, right now, in Jesus' name and via your spirit, we lift up the surrounding community. We lift up the other churches in our area gathering right now in worship, in word. And Father, even in this moment, would you bless them abundantly. Would they know they are a part of something so much bigger? And would they know that they are loved by God? Father, we're grateful for them. And we thank you that you planted them. We thank you that you are working through them in ways we don't see. And we thank you for how you are working here. And God, we acknowledge that you are working everywhere. So Father, in Jesus' name. We ask blessing, abundance, and provision over our brothers and sisters down the street, across the county, across the state, and across the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's continue with what Paul said. So verse 8 through 13, verses 8 through 13. says this. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. Actually, sorry, I think that's, yeah, there we go. Thank you. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how I constantly remember you. In my prayers at all times. 
And I pray that now at last by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you to make you strong. That is, that you and I may mutually be encouraged by each other's faith. Just a really quick pause because I love this. And um, I've got a couple Bibles, but this is my, like, falling apart Bible. You know what I'm saying? Um, If anybody knows how to attach a spine to a Bible, hook a brother up, okay? But something about it is pretty endearing, you know? You ever heard that uh, C.S. Lewis quote, uh, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't? Yeah, you can take that with you. <laughs> what was I saying? <laughs> I was getting into my old Bible and I had some notes on this. And I just love that Paul is this, gosh, this amazing leader, right? He is the, we would call him the apostle of all apostles. And he evangelized so many places and planted all these churches. And we're reading his works thousands of years later, right? And yet look at his humility. He says that is that you and I may mutually be encouraged. Can I encourage you? If you are any level of a leader in the room, you have any level of influence over other people. I love how uh, Craig Grishel defines leadership. He says, if you have influence over one person, you're a leader. That you need encouragement too. Paul knew this. Paul knew that when he visited the church, he wasn't going just to be the spiritual authority. He wasn't going just to be in charge of everybody. Friends, I can be guilty of this. I think all of my control freaks in the room can be guilty of this. We step into situations and need control, right? And yet Paul, this amazing leader, knew I need the encouragement just as much as you. I think the primary fall of leaders is not understanding we need it as much as everybody else. So whether you're a parent Uh, you have a a level of leadership in your job, you're a leader in the church, wherever it may be, if you have leadership, understand that you need it just as bad. Paul knew that. But let's keep going. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you just as I have among the other Gentiles. We'll stop there. So following his, his deep introduction and his mission, he transitions a bit and he focuses now on the Romans. He starts talking about what he sees in them and how he's praying for them and how he he encourages and has remembered them. And he expresses thankfulness for them and how he longs to be with them to finally meet them. He prays for them all these things. And so much of this section is simply Paul encouraging this church. But again, context changes content. I don't believe this was mere encouragement, like kind of run of the mill, Paul just going through his checklist of people he needed to encourage. This was written to Rome. Rome was like the New York City of the day. How many of you have been to New York City? How fun would it be to try to spread the gospel there? Not super fun. I've tried, actually. Didn't go great. Hey, he planted seeds, though. Who knows? It was written to Rome, the New York City, thriving, diverse, tons of people from all different areas, all different religions, all different beliefs, all different idols, all these things. And more importantly, extremely oppressive leadership. So when Paul starts with, I thank God for all of you, for your faith is being reported all over the world, I think this encouragement was deep and unique for two reasons. One, because of its location. Paul had to have understood that this thriving metropolis was almost like a big screen for the gospel. Like, oh my gosh, so many people could bring this word out from here. So the fact that you guys are being bold about it and it's being reported, I'm so thankful for you because this matters. This matters. I think the second thing is this. Christianity in Rome was extremely unpopular. Extremely unpopular. If you think Christianity is unpopular now, uh, 
you don't want to go back to that type of unpopularity because they could do something about it, not just post about Facebook and make you feel bad about yourself. They would do much worse things. In fact, I read a uh, commentary that said that Christians in Rome were considered enemies of the human race where they experienced violence and much malevolence. And it was under that same leadership, Nero, he was the emperor at the time, that would soon martyr Paul. And if you've ever heard of the idea of a Roman candle, people, Christians specifically, who would be lit on fire at gatherings until they died, that was the same guy who did that. So Paul writes this letter and he's thanking God and encouraging them. I think the second reason is because he knew how dangerous it was. He knew how hard it was, so his heartfelt thanks, I feel like, should just reverberate in us because it was so important. And church, the church in Rome just in some ways held a little extra weight, and Paul knew it. So that should speak to us about how he writes these things. I thank my God through Christ for you. He's effectively saying, friends, you are a gift from God. You are a gift from God. I thank Jesus for you. <laughs> Let's make it practical. How often do you call people a gift of God? How often do you look at someone that you care and just encourage them? You are a gift from God, and I thank him for you. That's what, I'm going to be frank, like, I'm a recovering manly man. Does that make sense? I don't, why, I don't know why you're laughing. I can't tell. I can't tell what the laughter is about. I think it's mixed. But what I mean by that is this culture of men don't feel. Men can't say affectionate things. Men have to be strong, and with strength involves no emotion. Can I encourage you that's not strength, that's weakness? If we are too proud to say something affectionate to someone, we are weak. And to my men in the room, if I'm saying that and you're like, that's me, I'm saying that with you, not at you. One person is, that was a woman for sure, like. <laughs> my brother, you and me, man, <laughs> we'll talk after but he's affectionate, and he tells them you're a gift from God. Friends, didn't we do that? Let's just, again, make it practical. Can I ask how often you encourage, listen, and thank the leaders in your life? How often do you thank and encourage the mentors in your life? How often do you thank and encourage the missionaries in your life? How often do you thank and encourage the people that you, are, you know are going out there and getting dirty and saying the hard things and having the hard conversations and just telling them, oh, my gosh, thank you. Like, I read this passage, and I, one of my brothers, uh, I don't have physical brothers, but he's my brother in Christ in college. He was part of just Jesus doing his thing in my life, right? And, and we grew together in Christ. This man, his name's Travis Foster. He's actually in the States right now. He decided to go be a full-time missionary in Thailand. If you know anything about Thailand, there's effectively no Christians. So my brother has no community over there, no nothing. They have a small group of Christians that day in and day out go out and try to evangelize. He's in the middle of learning Thai just so he can communicate. He's been there for years, and he plans to be there forever. And I'm reading this, and gosh, I couldn't not literally put my Bible down, pick up my phone, and text him and just be like, dude, I am so thankful for you. I am so thankful that you said yes to the call of Jesus because what you're doing is really, really hard and a lot of people aren't doing it, but I need you to know you are a gift from God and you're a blessing to me. Do we do that? Do we do that? Paul knows what he's doing here. He is very intentionally encouraging leaders in hard situations because they need it. Is, uh, is Debbie Call in the room? Debbie, 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 maybe second service? Well, I'm going to shout her out anyways. I'm just going to give an example of someone who did this for me this week. Uh, if you know Debbie, she is just a little sun ray, sun, sunshine ray, ray of sunshine. 
It's all the same. <laughs> Thank you, brother. And she pulled me aside on Tuesday night. I was here with the Grove, and I was bustling back and forth trying to get some stuff ready. We were having water damage leaking through the rooms. So we had to move all the young adults into here, which that was a whole testimony in itself because worship was incredible and all this stuff. And she pulls me aside, and she's like, I know you're busy, but can I just talk to you? And in my head, I can't even lie to you. In my head, it's so bad. I was like, no, you can't pull me aside. I got things to do. I didn't say that. I was just thinking it. No, I'm just kidding. Why not? I'm not kidding. But anyways, we start talking. We start talking, and she, gosh, bless her soul. She was just like, I just need you to know how much I appreciate you. I just need you to know, like, Christmas Eve, I brought family, and now all of a sudden they're wondering about Jesus, and they're thinking about Jesus. And thank you for being bold when it's really hard because you know a lot of people are in the room who don't really care about this, but you said it anyways. And I just want you to know how I appreciate you. And I'm just sitting there like, I'm, I'm a man, recovering manly man, okay? So I'm not going to cry right now. When I turn around, I will. So I walked away, and I felt so blessed. But Debbie, bless her soul, wasn't done. I got, like, a 10-page email the next day, and it was titled, I wasn't finished. (laughs) I don't think it was actually titled that, but that's funny. And she just had this whole thing of encouragement, and, and it wasn't about lifting me up. It really, really wasn't, and that's not even what she was doing. But I'll tell you, I look at this and what Paul was doing, and I experienced that real time. I experienced the value of being in the muck of ministry or being in the muck of family or being in the muck of your work where you're really trying to make sure Jesus is the center and it's hard and it's tough. And someone just saying, I appreciate you. You're a gift from God. It means so much. Question, friends, do you do it? Do you do it? Is there someone right now that's on your heart? Can I, friends, I'm the type that if they're on my heart, I pull out my phone and I text now. I text now so I don't forget. So if you're on your phone right now, I'll give you about 30 seconds, okay? I won't judge you. But I encourage you, please go be that for other people. And Paul is modeling for that, uh, that for us here. So even this morning, who can you be that for? Who's in the mud? Who's persecuted? Who's been working hard for the gospel? Thank them. Thank them. Let them know that it matters. A little gesture like that lifted my entire week, and it can do that for others as well. But now let's get into the meat. Let's get into the meat. And some of you are like, Phil, you are already 30 minutes deep on this guy. Do I got some more time? Do I have your attention? Right? Jeb? Yeah, okay. He's the tallest person in the room, so he gets the most say. <clears throat> Let's get into verses 14 through 17. This is where I'm going to pull some of my points, and I'm really excited about some of this. Verses 14. So he continues. He continues out of the, the formal introduction and this encouragement, and he says this. Oh, my gosh, the wording is so important. I am obligated both to the Greeks and to the non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. The wording, friends, is not only obviously intentional, but it is powerful. Obligated and eager. These are not weak words. These are not like wishy-washy words like, I think that I want to talk sometime, maybe next month, to maybe somebody about Jesus. He says, I am obligated, and to Greeks and non-Greeks, what does that mean? Everybody. I am obligated to everybody and also eager to do it. Anybody guilty of not feeling these ways a lot of the time? And then the other 428 of you just lied. <laughs> There's another translation for the word obligation. I'm going to talk a lot about this word obligation, but it's, it's a debtor. If you look into some translations, Paul actually says, I am a debtor 
to both Greeks and non-Greeks. But both of these words imply uh, what Paul was feeling was that there was not another option. When I think about preaching the gospel, when I think about telling people about Jesus, when I think about sharing the faith that I have, uh, a.k.a. you sitting in this room, even if you're just curious and you're not about this yet, whether or not you know it, you have a level of faith. And here's the thing. If your faith isn't in Jesus, guess what? It's in something else. It drives me nuts when people are like, Phil, you have faith in Jesus? I'm like, you have a lot of faith in video games. Well, you got a lot of faith in that Netflix show that you already know how it's going to end because they all end the same way. You got a lot of faith in that significant other that you've let them treat you like poo, but you keep coming back. I mean, come on, somebody. We got a lot of faith in a lot of things, so I would just rather put my faith where it actually matters and where it actually works and where there's actually worth. But he says, hey, because of what I know, there is no other option. It is not optional for me to preach the gospel. I've encountered this good, amazing, insane news. It changes the entire world. And because of how real it was for him, because of how powerful it was for him, because of his understanding of how good it really was, he is obligated and eager to tell other people about it. Are we obligated and eager? I'm going to explain. My first point is this. Outreach shouldn't... Outreach... Shouldn't feel like an option, but a holy obligation. Outreach shouldn't feel like an option. I use that word intentionally. Feel like an option, but a holy obligation. I just find the word choice so intriguing. Why? I don't always feel like this. I can read Paul's writing, and don't get me wrong, I like to think I'm fiery, but the fire can kind of be like up and down. Anybody relate to that? Like there's days where you're like, I will talk to anybody and their mom about Jesus. And then the next day I'm like, I want to talk to anybody's mom about Jesus. And it's just this kind of, sometimes this up and down, this tug and pull, right? And and there should be no shame in that because we are imperfect humans. And yet Paul, following his conversion, clearly has this fire, and he says, I'm actually obliged to do it. I'm obliged to tell others. He literally felt that because of what he now knew, listen, he owed a debt to those who don't know it. That is a deep feeling. Do any of us in the room have maybe at times felt so deeply about Christ that we feel like we owe a debt to those who don't know the truth yet? I've felt that. Not all the time, but I've felt it at times. Like, oh my gosh, I have access to like unlimited riches and wisdom from the King of Kings. I have presence, like I can be with him. Literally, and I watch people struggling through life and I'm like, you're struggling because you don't know that he's there and he's here and he's with you and he's present and you don't know it yet. And I literally feel a debt to tell you that you can have it. The reason I get up here and sweat every time I preach, I'm sweating right now. It's because I feel a debt that there are people in this room that don't know him yet. And there's people who think that they know him and don't know him yet. And you wonder why this, that, left, right, up, and down. And it's because you haven't met the person who made left, right, this, that, up, and down. Paul understood this indebtedness, and I'll take it a step further. I think Paul understood that it wasn't a legalistic job. It was an honor to share the gospel. It wasn't something he had to do. Listen, it was something he got to do. Again, we're a hot church, honest, open, transparent. The fake doesn't do anything for anybody. I often do not feel that way. I often don't feel that it is a privilege to share the gospel. 
In fact, if I'm really being real, now that I work in full-time ministry the last four or five years, sometimes it feels like a job. Can I tell you that's of the devil? The minute the gospel becomes a, a job to you or burdensome to you or hard for you, it's because we are not connected to the power source, and we're going to talk about that. But I'm going to give you an example of times that I've felt this way in college. Many of you know somewhat of my testimony, but I was raised in a Christian household. I'm going to fly through this. But in college, I got that freedom. Here's the thing. One of the reasons I'm so passionate about young adults is because I know what it feels like to be raised, quote, unquote, religious, not ever embrace it for yourself. So the minute you get freedom, you run a whole wild mile. I ran a whole bunch of wild miles. We're not going to get into that, actually. But in college, I just started wilding out. I was the dude, I was using my God-given leadership for a lot of wrong things, throwing huge parties, uh, smoking a lot of stuff I shouldn't have been smoking, selling a lot of the stuff I shouldn't have been selling, treating women terribly as objects and all of this awful stuff. And I sat in this auditorium as God physically, I believe, touched me and it changed my entire life. And I went back to college and within a couple months, the the, uh, the parties became Bible studies, right? And the outreach to get people to come and have a good time became outreach for Jesus. Us. And I went from like these parties to I'm walking around the food halls handing out Bible study flyers and everybody's looking at me like I'm crazy. You know what I'm saying? We would go to Park City Mall, okay? And I'm not, I couldn't make this up. We would print out a bunch of little slips and cut them out and they had the gospel on them with my email. I should not have put my email on there, but I was zealous, okay? And I would go around handing them out and I would watch people be like, take them, crumble, and drop it on the floor. And I was like, that's okay. There's more people in this mall. I got them. And I would go into Foot Locker, friends. I was this annoying person. And I would take these slips and put them in every single shoe. If you went and tried it in a shoe, you were like, all I want is a pair of Nikes and you got Jesus. Amen. Come on, somebody. Yes. Within a year, I went to two missions trips in Guatemala. Within that same year, I coordinated about half a dozen Baltimore outreach trips where we prayed on active crack addicts. We gave out blessing bags. All, this all happened in a year of God changing my life. Friends, I have felt the feeling of being obliged to go tell people, but I don't always feel it. But I don't always feel it. But the beautiful thing about getting a taste of that is that we know it's available. Amen? And outreach shouldn't be optional, friends. And I don't say this literally at all to lift me up because if it hadn't been for Jesus, I would have kept doing the things I was doing. But I have felt that holy obligation to know the good news, the truth, and like, I like literally feel like I have to tell other people there isn't an option, Phil. What else would you do? You've encountered the life-changing, living, breathing God of the universe. What else would you do? I saw this interesting post on Facebook the other day, and it was someone that said, you know, it's baffling to me that Christians read the story of Abraham and Isaac and are just in love with Abraham for his willingness to kill his son. For me, I would just realize that God's not for me. You want to know what my comment back on that post was? If the God of the universe talked to you, you're going to do exactly what he said. (laughs) So what's he saying to us? What's he calling us to? I've personally had seasons of feeling the fire, and yet if I'm being the whole way honest, 2023, friends, I don't think I felt it the majority of the time. Coming into 2024, God has, and I praise him for this, lit that ember back up where I am ready for this year, and I hope you are too. But I want to encourage you, if you don't feel it now, you can feel it before you leave this room. If you don't feel it now, you can feel it tomorrow morning. If you don't feel it now, it's as available as it's ever been. 
And we should desire that. And I just want to shout out some people because I think there's so many people to honor even in this room. But it's just beautiful to think of the people who have kept this fire and had this zeal and this obligation and this indebtedness to those around them. Jeff and Tracy Smith came to mind first. Planning this place and leading it for as long as they have. Brother, thank you. You are appreciated and loved. Bob Gifford comes to mind. My brother just never stops. He comes into the church, and if he's in here for more than like seven minutes, he feels like he's done something wrong. He's like, I should have been on the streets these seven minutes. And I'm like, brother, bless your soul. I got administrative work to do. (laughs) Alan Smith comes to mind. Sheila McConville comes to mind. Patty Schaefer comes to mind. Michelle Barshinger comes to mind. Briar Robinson comes to mind. There's so many people that come to mind that I look at them and I'm like, oh my gosh, you get it. You are obliged to preach this thing and it's not burdensome to you, it's beautiful for you. Yeah, you can clap for those people and so many others. But I hope that this language this morning is not uh, just challenging but encouraging because here's the thing, it is available. And it is amazing, and it is impactful, not only on you, but the others that you will go and tell about it. But do you see the difference, friends? This is not some unenjoyable task. It's an honor. And in some ways, it will be easy because it comes natural and seamless. It comes fluidly, and it doesn't feel forced. And like for me, I know the minute it starts to feel forced, I need to get back with Jesus. The minute it starts to feel forced, stop. That's okay. Do you know that? Like, if you've been running so hard to love people for the Lord and you're starting to feel burnout and tired and it feels forced, stop and get back with him. And he'll send you back out when he wants to send you back out. That's what he's going to do. That's what he's going to do. we got to keep going, family. Verse 16. Verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. This verse, we only have two left. This verse is not only one of my life verses, but it's kind of the key, one of the keystone verses for what we're uh, setting this study under. And I think Paul words this very specifically, and that if we embrace and understand this idea of being unashamed, it will set us up to be able to follow everything else we learn in the next 15 chapters. Because here's the reality. If we aren't unashamed of this, then as we read it, we will pick and choose what we like. As we read it, we'll decide what we want to pay attention to and what we don't. But when we become unashamed of the gospel of Jesus, every page is life-giving. Every page. My second point is this. Understanding the power of the gospel makes us unashamed to preach it. Understanding the power of the gospel makes us unashamed to preach it. Paul's, of course, this inspirational evangelist and apostle who does amazing things. Like, we see him talk about his obligation to share it, how he's eager to do it. And we may be like, well, that's not me, Phil. You know, I don't know how he does any of that because it's really hard, it seems like. And yet Paul, again, in typical biblical fashion, goes right into the why he does it. And here's an important thing, friends. Anything you do in life, if you don't know the why, you'll eventually stop doing the thing. So if you pursue things and you try to be a certain person and you have morals or things that you want to stand on and live on, but you don't have a why behind it, that thing won't last. So he gives us the why and he says, for, and implying this is why, I am unashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to all who believes. What did he understand? 
Why was he able to do this? He understood how powerful this was. You want to know why I think so much of our culture struggles to follow this, even Christians? Now, many people claim Christ but don't get in the word. How many people claim Christ but struggle to pray? How many people claim Christ but come to church like once a month, if that, or, or you know, Christmas and Easter, whatever it might be? You want to know why? We have not learned the power of this. We haven't. Think about it. If we understood the power of God, it would change everything. If we just think we know some stuff about Jesus, it's not going to change much. Knowledge without action, without application, is just knowledge. It's good to know something. It's better to do it. In fact, wisdom is defined as what? Knowledge applied. So you want to be wise and, and know the gospel. Well, guess what? You have to know it so much that you actually want to go do it. And Paul understood the power. He understood this literally brings salvation. And if the gospel is real, which it is, then believing and confessing Christ is Lord, Romans 10, 9, actually has the opportunity to save people. And we can share that message of power. Holy moly, you're telling me I get to share a message that brings people from life to death. You're t and I'm so worried about a football game. I'm so worried about my next paycheck. I'm so worried about getting into a relationship that I've actually somehow taken the message of life to death that I've been given to share and put it 10th on my list. How does that happen? We're not leaning into the power that it has. We're not leaning into what it really is. And to me, it just makes so much sense because when I'm really grasping the importance and the power of this, I am all the more urgent to let people know. If you don't have urgency, you might not be leaning into the power. And that's okay, because it's available right now. It's available tomorrow. And what happens when I understand the power specifically is that I am far less concerned of what people think about the message I'm giving. Because I know how important it is and how unimportant their opinions are. Do you know how freeing that would be for so many of us if we understood that? If I understood how important the gospel is and how unimportant what people think about it is, it would change everything. It would change everything. And I just got to encourage you because there's a lot of you in the room. Unashamed Christians are dangerously effective. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. A Christian on fire who does not give a rip what you think is dangerously effective. Can I tell you one of the most crippling things in sharing the gospel for many of us is other people's opinions. But when I understand and realize that that doesn't matter and one day those opinions will stand next to God, and guess what? You're not even going to be able to get them out of your mouth. I think about people who are so strong and loud and bold against Jesus. Well, I believe this and you're crazy for this. They're going to get in front of God and none of those words are going to be able to get out of their lips. So say them here if it makes you feel good. It's not going to work one day. When we... Lean into that power and we understand how important he is and how unimportant that is. All of a sudden, it doesn't matter who I'm talking to because I've got the truth and you need it. And Paul understood that power. One little thought with this, I have a lot of notes, but I'm going to summarize it because God bless y'all. The idea of power means you got to be connected to something. You want to understand and feel and experience the power of Christ? You have to be connected to the source. You have to be. So many of us, and I am uber guilty of this, I will do so many things for God without God. 
I will get done a whole day of ministry and I love so many people and I mentored these people and I counseled these people and I ran a ball in youth service that 180 kids are showing up to and I get to the end of the night, it's 10.30 and I'm beat and I'm drained and I realize I didn't actually talk to Jesus once. I believed in the power without connecting to the power. So many of us feel drained in our faith because we're doing it disconnected from the source. Friends, if you have a battery-powered vacuum, where my cleaner's in the room, okay, and you're like, this floor is dirty, and you're like, vroom, 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 man, this shark is awesome. I got the, the up, uppity brand because I need a good vacuum floor. Vroom, vroom, vroom. And then you never plug it in, and it dies. One minute you're bragging about how good the vacuum is, the next minute it's dead doing nothing. Why? You never plugged it in. You want to know people are the same way? You got a lot of dead Christians out here because we haven't plugged back in. We haven't plugged back in. Go to your source, family. Go to your source. I gotta skip some stuff. <laughs> I'm sorry, y'all. We're gonna be in pastors' meeting. They're gonna be like, "You preach for an hour 15. and you're, they're gonna be like, "Well, some people liked it." And I'll be, "But some people didn't." <laughs> Plug into the source. There's power to understand. And let's go to verse 17. Verse 17. For in the gospel, so again, he says for. The, the, the way it's written is so intentional. For, it's like a, a summary. It's like this is why. For in the gospel, this is why we love it. This is why we're unashamed of it. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. If you didn't know contextually, they had been waiting for this for thousands of years. Thousands of years. The gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness, listen, that is by faith from first to last. And just as it is written. The righteous will live by faith. He says all of these impactful things that we've unpacked. And then he says again, for, implying another progression of the thought. The righteousness of God has been revealed. So this is an elaboration of what the power is. If I say, like, hey, you need to tap into the power. He's telling you what the power is. The righteousness of God. The righteousness of God, which is by faith from first to last. This is what we're going to sit on. The NIV study Bible, at least mine, also redefines this as not faith by first to la- from first to last, but from faith to faith. From faith to faith. And I think what it's saying is that everything we just talked about, everything, is fueled by faith in Christ. Everything. So my last point is this. Faith to faith changes shame to unashamed. We're going to sit on this for just a minute. Here's the truth. The idea of, here's a truth, how about that? The idea of preaching the gospel and being unashamed to do so obviously isn't happening everywhere. Obviously. Look at the world for two and a half seconds. We have two billion some people who would say they believe in Jesus. They would claim Christianity. That is, friends, pushing a quarter of the world. If a quarter of the world really understood this, then that means all of us would only have to evangelize three people each, and everybody would know Jesus. So guess what? That's not the real stats. That's not really happening, okay? Friends, I want Grace Fellowship Church in Shrewsbury to be a place that our statistics are much higher than that. Amen? I want this hill to be a place that we aren't just these casual Christians who walk in and sit down and, who I did church. No, you didn't. You are church. (sighs) 
promise you I'm wrapping this up in like five. But I just want to let you guys know, there is a clock in the back that goes negative when you're over your time. I hate that clock. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Faith to faith changes shame to unashamed. Let's just, let's talk about it. I think a top two answer for why we are not unashamed to share the gospel are fear and shame. Fear and shame. We don't feel worthy to talk about Jesus. We've messed up too much. We've got too many problems. We don't know enough. We don't want to be rejected or discarded. The list goes on. And so many of us probably in this room as I'm like yelling at you, hear the word unashamed. And yet so often feel the dead opposite of that, shame. So as you hear the word unashamed, you're like, well, how? I am so burdened by shame. And I want you to know, if you walked in this room burdened by shame, you have already been prayed for this morning. You've already been prayed for this morning. But what happens is because of this shame, we have no motivation, no desire to share about our faith because we feel unworthy to do so. Friends, as a pastor, I feel this. As a pastor, if I, if I have a bad week, or I really didn't get with God a lot, or I'm, I fell back into some type of temptation, or I treated people in a way that I shouldn't, or I was apathetic or lazy, there's times where I get in front of people and feel so unworthy to talk about God. Can I tell you what that feeling is? Shame. Can I tell you where it comes from? Hell. And I think shame brings us down these rabbit holes where we don't just stop at one reason that we aren't fit. Because that one reason boils into another reason, which boils into another reason. And all of a sudden, before we know it, we have given ourselves ten reasons why we can't talk to this person about Jesus. Can I tell you, there is only one reason to talk to someone about Jesus, and his name is Jesus. And we have friends a million reasons why we can't do it, but it has never been about you. Your being unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ has absolutely nothing to do with you and absolutely everything to do with him. So if last night you slept around, last night you got drunk, last night you got in a huge fight with your spouse, last night you cussed someone out and you walk in this room feeling completely unworthy to even be in the room, your worthiness in this room has nothing to do with you, everything to do with him. It's never been about if we can't do it, it's always been about he can do it. That is what being unashamed is about. And I believe that the church of Jesus, maybe specifically in America, is so burdened because we think about ourselves so much. We are so burdened by our problems that we think disqualify us when the only qualifier was ever Jesus crucified and risen. That was the only qualifier ever. And here's the thing, if you believe in him and you confess with your mouth that he is Lord, he is then for you, in you, that same righteousness, which is the power of God, rests in you. It says in the Bible there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You want to know another word for condemnation? Shame. There is no shame for those who are in Christ. You want to know what else the Bible says? It says that is in our weakness his strength is made perfect. Therefore, Paul says it himself, I will boast in my weaknesses. How dare we feel shame because of our weakness when the Lord of all creation says it's your weakness that makes me necessary. 
So if you're in the room and I'm talking about being unashamed and that feels hard for you, that feels distant from you, maybe you're not plugged to the source because the source is what brings the unashamed nature in you because it is him working through you. So when you walk out of this room this morning and you walked in burdened by shame, you walked in with a litany of reasons why this message doesn't apply to you because it's too hard to tell people. It's too difficult. I've done too many things. Well, they're going to laugh at me because they know what I've done. They know my past. Good. Let them know what you've done and let them know who you now know and then go live different. It says, verse 17, and the righteous will live by what? Faith. Only took me an hour to get you guys with me. (laughs) So faith to faith changes shame to unashamed. Faith from beginning to the last and everywhere in the middle, everywhere in the middle, Bring shame to unashamed. And you know why that's possible? Because notice how much of you are in there. None. You don't fit in that equation. Your faith in Christ does. So friends, as you leave this place, realize shame is not for you. It's never been for you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And when you understand that power, that righteousness of God that lives in you if you know him, then you can actually leave this place completely unburdened and and now burdened by Christ. But the burden of Christ is what? Easy. And the yoke is light. I don't know what I have at the end of my notes. I'm just going to pray. Father, the only way that any of this could be true about us is because of you. And yet it is true. So that means sitting up here with all my issues and all my problems, you say the righteousness of God is in me. You say that the areas of shame in my life can actually be overshadowed by the cross and therefore I can walk unashamed. Father, give us boldness. Give us the heart that Paul had, an obligation and an eagerness to go tell somebody. And I even pray that as we leave today, we would text that person we've been thinking about. We would confront that person we've been thinking about. We would go into prayer this afternoon so that when we go into work Monday morning, we would talk to that person we've wanted to talk to about Jesus for years. And that you would give us an unashamed heart. Father, we love you. We know that we can't do any of this without you, so we submit this to you. Would you work in the place of the